Hello and welcome to the Playstech podcast. I'm Nicola Byrne. This episode has been brought to you in association with Node and Mills and Reeve. Join us as we explore the latest innovations transforming property. And now we realise your time is valuable, so let's get straight into today's episode. Today we have a discussion on the hot and very important topic of data. And joining me in the studio is Charlie Wade, Melanie Leach, Julian Carey and Pete Hallett. This is pretty much a bit of a debate on data, which sounds quite broad. I thought we could all start off by saying what data means for us and what it means for the property industry and introduce yourselves at the same time. Hi, I'm Melanie Leach and I'm Chief Executive of the British Property Federation, which is the trade association, the membership association for property companies. I think in my four years in this role, one of the real trends I've seen is the focus towards more and more towards customers. And obviously, if you're going to focus on your customers and understand what they want and how they're behaving, you need data to do that. So I think data is becoming of growing importance and it's increasingly becoming a tool for property companies to be able to differentiate their offer. Perfect. And Pete, how about yourself in that district? Um, yeah, so I will I would start off with introducing myself, I guess. I'm Pete, uh, CTO at District, I'm looking after all things product and tech there at the moment. I think my my journey with data started a little bit further back than District, um, where I've been working with, with Central Gov, um, trying to kind of get a lot of the data that the citizens of the UK need to interact with um, opened up um, for the government, um, which has kind of segued me nicely into my role um, at District where we're trying to do similar things, where we're trying to kind of get the insights out of um, people's behaviours in buildings and use those things. And I think Melanie uh, mentioned talking about the, the users or the people that you know are interacting with those those spaces, um, getting that data, being able to gain insight from it um, is, is the thing that's going to really help in this sector. I'm Julian Carey, uh, Executive Property Director at Stemprop. We're a listed property company. Um, For us, data is first and foremost of what we're working on at the moment in our business. I think as the prop tech story has expanded within real estate, I think people are starting to focus on different parts of that. And I think data is really coming to the fore as the biggest issue facing most uh, landlords in the UK. Because if you want to use prop tech in your business, you need to have a good handle on what your data is. And so we're really unpacking that in our business at the moment and um, getting to grips with it and realizing what we have to do in order to bring its value forward. But it's not just about the tools which sit on top of the data, it's the data itself and the opportunities that that gives us um, within our business. And, and picking up what Melanie said, you know, customer is becoming increasingly first and foremost um, our focus. And I think unless we have a good handle on data, we can't service them. So hi, my name's um, Charlie Wade. I'm the Managing Director for um, the UK here for for VTS. VTS is a software company. Um, It's a prop tech company. And we're a leasing and asset management platform. So we're rapidly becoming the operating system for commercial real estate. My take on data is similar to sort of what Julian said. I think the commercial real estate industry has a lot of data. It has always had a lot of data. Question is, where does that data sit? What structure does it sit in? How do people really use, engage, and interact with that data? Plus, there's a bunch of new data sets that are coming from more and more technology companies entering the space that are shining a light and providing really unique perspective on other aspects of the industry. The industry needs to get a handle on its data because it's about to get, if not already, flooded with more and more information. So what technologies, what tools can they get in place to start to structure that data, put that data in the hands of the end users and almost commercialize and, and actually make that data more consumable for those end users? 
Perfect. And Julian, I'd like to start with you. What is it that StampUp are putting in place to begin this journey? So the first part of the journey is, is identifying what data we have. And I think we've been doing a lot of sort of navel gazing and head scratching recently, trying to figure out how we go about analyzing the data within the organization and, and ultimately where we can keep it. That's probably the first point of call. I think the issue that real estate has had is largely its own making is, is the reason why we've sort of lagged behind, say, the financial services industry is because we're the masters of outsourcing. And when you outsource everything, you lose control of all of your data. And so what we've done is we push that data to lots of other people and they don't run that data in the way that we need it. And so the first sort of stage of the process for us has been understanding where is that data, what format is it currently in, you know, how good is the quality of that data and how do we get that back and how do we utilize it? So we starting, I guess, uh, you know, where do we start? You start with your property management system. And I think, you know, it's working with people like VTS um, and other systems which sit on top of your corporate data, which makes you realize as a first port of call where you're at. And I think that's been the big awakening for a lot of people. They've started to go down their prop tech journey and they've realized that actually the quality of their data is very, very poor um, and they have no handle on it. So as a business, we're sort of working our way through that conundrum. It's not going to be a quick fix. Um, it's going to take some time. And we're really tooling up and educating ourselves as to how a lot of other industries have gone about tackling this uh, conundrum because we're not the first people to sort of wake up to the problem of data. Um, so I think there's a lot we can learn from outside of the real estate industry. And that's sort of where we're at at the moment. And do you think you're doing enough at this time? We're doing as much as we can. What is enough, I guess? You know, we could spend hundreds and thousands, millions of pounds, I think, tackling this problem. And, and I think it's a huge problem. You know, Charlie mentioned that there's a massive amount of data sets out there. There's both the data that you create internally, and then there's the data which is created externally, which has an impact upon your business and therefore a value and, and which you could monetize. So it's probably a never-ending problem. I think the challenge from an executive level within the organization is balancing the resource that you give to capturing your data um, relative to the profit that you can generate from it in the short term and looking at its long-term value. That's, that's the balance really that we're trying to strike. Fantastic. Um, Melanie, I just kind of want to get your view because the BPF, British Property Federation, which you're chief executive of, you're responsible for doing some report, writing a lot of the reports and starting this conversation. Can you tell me your experience of what the industry is looking like now and what are the next steps? I think I'd make a lot more money than being chief executive of the British Property Federation if I could predict the future to that extent. But I guess, I mean, what I'm seeing, picking up on what everyone else has said really, is that traditional ways of doing things are breaking down and changing and being disrupted. And that means that people to be successful in the future in the real estate industry are going to have to do things in different ways and find different ways to monetize value and create value and offer value. And I think data is, is fundamental to that. Um, so processes can be done more efficiently and actually more securely in automated ways. So where's the value going to come from? It's going to come from insight, which is going to come from data. So if you're going to have to capture data and analyse it and offer insight, and that's, I think, going to be the way that people in uh, a number of people who've got careers that are going to go in the industry because they're going to be automated, or they're going to be done in a different way, or they're not going to need doing, are going to find to create value in the future. And if you look at, I think, some of the way the big agents in particular are thinking, they're very much on that agenda and on that case and trying to figure out, okay, if all the data and all the automation that's there is going to generate very quick answers to questions we could have charged a lot of money for in the past, how now are we going to create value in a different way? Okay, we're going to do that by knowing more, by capturing more data, by using it intelligently and by offering insight into it. So I think that's quite exciting, actually. So I think it's, you know, Yes, it's a problem, but it's also a huge, huge opportunity, I think. Would anyone like to build on 
any of uh, Melanie's points would you like to add in there? I think from my perspective, what you're saying, Melanie, is, is really interesting. So I absolutely agree that the role of your traditional charters of air today is going to change. But I don't believe necessarily that jobs will be wholeheartedly replaced. I think what will happen and what will be really interesting is that people will have to change their skill set slightly. So I think the number of people in the industry, we always hear about people sort of saying, oh, well, you know, is technology is going to replace automation, going to do away with the middleman, et cetera, or the middle person, et cetera. I think from my perspective, yes, there is a risk of that. But to what you're saying, the more data, the more information, the more opportunity it creates, there are going to be new jobs, new skill sets, and new perspectives that I think are going to find um, real differentiators and be able to use data and information in a whole new way that's going to create you know, more opportunity and more value. And with more value comes higher fees, more returns, and, and the industry is, everyone is more successful. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I also think what's fantastic about that is that potentially it gives us a real shot at opening up the industry to a much broader social demographic and a much broader range of skill sets and types of people than historically we've been characterised as being, because those are different jobs requiring different skill sets. And hopefully they're jobs that look interesting and fun and actually play into what a lot of young people coming out of schools and universities are looking for these days. So I think that's going to be hugely important in terms of trying to drive that more diverse industry that I think we've got high on our agenda certainly at the BPF. Absolutely and Pete I would like to go to you because you have you are the CTO of districts (laughs) and you've been a technologist for however long? Oh longer than I care to admit these days I think you can see by the the grey that it's uh, (laughs) been a few years. (laughs) Absolutely so I want to ask you about one of your critical goals as district technologies it says to collect and utilize invaluable data points across portfolios buildings and companies. Mm -hmm. What makes data invaluable and why? Good question. <laughs> Where do we start? I think so from a from a data point of view, I think data is the fundamental building block of I want to say technology because I'm a CTO, but I think wider than that, you know, data becomes a thing that people can use to generate revenue in any sector. Um and not saying that the property is behind other sectors, but you know, there is work to be done in order to kind of get this insight. Um I think from our point of view, we will generate value by making this information easy to get at and also in the collecting of it. So like, you know, anonymized data about how people behave within buildings, I think will really help, uh, you know, making buildings for the future. Um, and I think that then becomes invaluable you know, and people in the future will, will get somewhere where they perhaps go to work, which is all of a sudden is, is built around, you know, historical behaviours, which which is a nice place to go. And the niggly things that, you know, you used to get on your nerves because, I don't know, something was in the wrong place or it took me ages to get to some point in the building. You know, they've all gone away because of all this information that's been collected by platforms like ours, but also in platforms being able to kind of work together, um, having companies, I would say like VTS and us working together, bringing all of these data sets together um, for around a load of things around um, building technology, um, you know, um, air conditioning, you know, temperature controls in buildings, access control, um, being able to tell how a building is utilised. I think all of those things that come together become the kind of real gold mine of information for the future which if that doesn't sound too corny (laughs) (laughs) doesn't at all and what i would like to ask everyone now this is a little bit of a juicy question and you don't have to name names but i want to know who you think are going to be the winners and losers in this race to innovate and who's still going to be around in 10 years and if not why 
it's quite a difficult one. You can go broad with that though, can't you? So I think the people that will win will be the people that are willing to be open. As a technology company, I think if we go at this thinking that we're not going to have to uh, work with other technology companies and think we can do it all ourselves, I think we'll, we'll end up being a loser. I think we have to uh, accept that and be open to working with others in order to create this gold pot, or whatever I called it before, um, you know, of, of data that can be used to kind of make all the buildings and everything a better place. Has anyone else got anything to add? I think that openness point is really important, actually. I mean, historically, we've not been great at being open and transparent, you know, actually quite the reverse. We've tended to be secretive about data and to think that data, holding on to data and being you know, secretive is commercial advantage. I think we need to flip that paradigm on its head, actually, and go the other way and say, the more we share and the more open we are, the more we have to gain. And the other thing is, I think the winners will be the ones who capture and use data more efficiently than their customers do, <laughs> because otherwise they'll find they're really behind the curve and then just not looking like a company that you would want to be part of or work with or be renting or buying from. The hardest job is for the bigger companies, I think, because you've got a lot of legacy. The challenge with with a lot of data capture is trying to get around your legacy and sort of clear up the mess behind you rather than necessarily just looking at the opportunity ahead of you. So I think it's a great time to be a disruptor, to be a technology business coming into the industry because you know there aren't the incumbents there who who are sort of holding all the cards. There's there's a huge land grab opportunity really at the moment. And I think the winners from the existing businesses in the industry, the traditional real estate companies in terms of those who have to transform their business, will be the ones who have leadership who get it. Um, who really support it, really understand it and see the opportunity in it rather than just the threat. That will be the challenge. And, you know, there will be winners and there will be losers. And I think as an industry also, we tend to have a pretty aged senior leadership group. Um, it's quite a hierarchical industry. You know, I was in Google um, at lunchtime and I was standing in their reception and I was by far the oldest person standing in reception at Google. And there were lots of very important looking people doing lots of business in their late 20s. Um, you don't really see that so often in the real estate industry. So I think we need to sort of really refresh it and look down and, and say, you know, what, are, what does the market want for the younger generation and the upcoming, you know, what our customers of the future want rather than necessarily just looking at the now and, and the past, which I think we're too frequently do. I think Julian hit the nail on the head as well about the industries. And from the winners and losers, I think those that underestimate just the challenge ahead of them to actually dive in and start cleaning up their data and information, right? Stemprop and Julian have started that journey. And a lot of people are still sitting on the fence, which I think is very risky because, you know, you can jump off the fence in a year, two, three years time, but I guarantee your competition will have massively accelerated ahead of you and will have done a lot of the hard work that you're going to have to put yourself through. And there will be such a big gap between you and them. But I also think those that kind of overcomplicate the problem by looking at the end outcome and saying, right, this is where we need to get to. And this is utopia, but not actually saying, well, what are the basics? How do we crawl? How do we walk? How do we kind of run into our sort of technology adoption? And again, doing things quickly and having the ability to be nimble suits the smaller firms. The bigger firms do struggle when it comes to just getting off the fence and acting and will always find excuses to do one project after another project after another project rather than maybe running two or three projects in parallel, learning from them, adapting, changing, and maybe going down a different route than they might have thought about at the start. What do you think needs to happen to get these people to stop sitting on the fence and leap off? 
the leadership point's really important. I think it will happen when they see the world around them running away from them. But as you said, that might take two or three years. Why are you smiling? <laughs> well, from, from my perspective, I think what causes people to really change is they miss out on something. They might lose a mandate. They might not win an instruction. They might misprice an asset. You know, a mistake, you know, where it hits their back pocket tends to cause people to change pretty quickly. And I think when people realize that the companies that have gone through their technology change and are starting to use, as we've all mentioned already, data in a completely different way and are using that insight to make very strategic decisions that are giving them an edge, you'll very quickly see people change and probably invest more than they, they needed to have done two or three years ago to try and catch up. Yeah, I think, I think in our organization, it's been slightly different to that in that actually, I found that my fellow directors have got on board um, with it more from a really positive experience with data. And so rather than necessarily having a really negative, because I don't necessarily think there's been that many negatives yet. I don't think that many people have said, oh, I missed that deal because actually they've got better data than me. They don't really know why they missed the deal. What we've seen, actually, VTS is a really great example where we adopted VTS. It's been rolled out in the organization and suddenly there's a profound change in the way that we work for the better. And so that has then galvanized every, you know, so it's a quick, easy win really in, in many ways. And then we said, okay, well, look, we've had one massive win and it's been quite easy. What do we have to do to have more of these? And, and then suddenly you start unraveling that, you know, underlying data issue and the sort of structural issues in the organization because, which you need to solve to get greater value. So ours has been, you know, getting people on board by showing them the opportunity rather than necessarily just the threat. I want to go on from the kind of the leadership point. I obviously have a, a, a nice place to sit and describe this because we're a 15 person organization. Um, so, you know, if I need to get anything done really in my organization, I can turn around and ask my CEO uh, who is sitting right next to me and, and we'll make a decision right there. And then, so, I mean, that's kind of how we evolve quickly. Right. But I think to do it in a bigger organization, I think maybe just, there's probably just an opportunity to try and deliver some things, some smaller things quickly to try and do that coaching up to a more senior level maybe people that aren't on board with the change there's always opportunity I say always there's probably opportunity to kind of make some small changes I don't know spin up some some smaller teams within a bigger organization to like you know I don't know like a, a black ops team as we might call it that goes off on a, on a side mission delivers some small changes but then you know show how valuable that is to the leadership and then get the leadership bought in and I think that's where it all starts um obviously I speak from my small 15-person organisation view, um, and, and it's probably very different in a big organisation, uh, but I think it is about getting the leadership on board. I don't think you should underestimate the cultural change that can happen from within, exactly what you're talking about. People, champions, um, people within the organisation that sort of get it and get excited, and the ripple effect that that has. So I absolutely agree with the top-down sort of buy-in, and being mandated from the top-down throughout your organisation, that, that is what is required in order to really change the way a company operates. But in order for it to be successful, long-lasting, and for people to have a good experience, you need to find those champions and those teams and those people that are willing to change because if you can get that top down and sort of bottoms up approach that is what you'll see really have such a dramatic shift and an impact in kind of bringing people along on the sort of the digital transformation yep are there enough champions out there 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, we're our own victims in this industry of sort of talking about all the negatives, right? I just did it a minute ago and Julia managed to spin it into a positive. But we constantly talk about the negatives and the laggards and the people that don't get it. There are so many people out there that do get it. And the sooner that they get empowered or see success or can shout about the wins and victories they've had, the quicker the whole industry is just going to kind of have that ripple effect. Well, let's talk about the positives then. What is the most impressive thing you've, you've seen in terms of innovation within, within this industry so far? That's a difficult question. What spurred you to start this journey yourselves? I joined the prop tech sector because it just looked like a journey that I've just been on with with the central government um, where you know there's a lot of legacy technology around a lot of process that you know is ripe for kind of modernizing and I don't mean that in, a, in too much of a patronizing way I mean it in a way that there's a huge opportunity here and it seems like um, it's becoming very popular it's even got its own tech prop tech um, you know it's a fashionable slash opportunistic place to be um but I'm trying to struggle with the innovation I've seen so far. But I think, you know, people are adopting technology and are starting to think about new ways of working. Every, every time I do something like this, a talk, a, a panel, a podcast this time around, there's always people there like, we're, we're doing this stuff, we're getting on with it. So it's just an exciting time, I think, for property as a whole. I'm going to say that what has surprised me and excited me over the last sort of six months has been the industrial sector as a whole. And... You know, I'm not just saying that because Stemprop is here and, and Julian is sort of leading that charge. But in all seriousness, the office sector, the retail sector, they've got their own challenges right now. The industrial sector is in a really exciting time. And it could have been very easy for that industry to just sit back and say, hey, you know, let's make hay while the sun's shining. We don't need to change what we've done in the past. There's an opportunity here and we can just continue business as usual. Everybody I've spoken to, whether it's Logical, Gaisley, GLP, Seabury GI Industrial, Stemprop, UK Land Estates, Capital Industrial, I mean, the names, Valor, just keep rolling off my tongue because they are all at the table and engaged about what do we need to do as our sector, putting the customer first, understanding our technology, getting our data in order, making sure that we don't mess this up. And I have genuinely been blown away with the way that senior leadership within the industrial sector has kind of rallied and come together to sort of really understand what their sector can be doing better and then being open to that change. So I'd say that's probably been my most exciting perception in the last sort of six months. Do you think that's partly because we had a long way to come? No, I, I don't think it's because the industrial sector had a long way to come. I think it's because the industrial sector has had the benefit of being able to look at other sectors and say, well, maybe there were some inefficiencies or mistakes made. We're not going to go down that path. I think they've also had the benefit of being able to see some of the disruption that's happened in the other industries and say, well, that writing is on the wall for our sector as well if we don't react to it in the right way. So they've had the benefit of seeing change unfold around them. They've had the benefit of their sector suddenly going into a time where it's a big focus and the benefit of a lot of tech solutions out there that they can all kind of rally around and support. So I think it's a perfect storm and it's it's a really exciting place to be. I guess from the British, British Property Federation point of view, I sit in a slightly different place to you guys. We're a policy organisation, we're a good practice organisation, and we're about trying to drive change both within the industry and externally. So for me, why has the BPS spent so much time thinking about tech in the last year or so? 
I guess it's part of the reasons that we've just been discussing around how the industry itself needs to rise to this challenge and change collectively. And it's also partly about us trying to think about, well, what's the regulatory environment and framework that's going to need to be in place if we're not going to get in the way of that transformational change? Because we spend a lot of our time talking to government about regulatory enablers, but also regulatory barriers. So I want to make sure that as the industry embraces these challenges and everyone starts to motor, led strongly from the top and bottom up, all this exciting stuff happens. I want to make sure that we don't sort of hit and straight into a barrier of a planning regulation or a, a, you know, some other piece of policy that's going to get in the way of that. So that's part of the reason that we think we've got a role to play in this. It's partly about raising awareness. It's partly about bringing the two sectors together that have traditionally sort of not talked to each other. And I do think there's still quite a lot to do to make sure we bring together the brightest and smartest people in the tech world with the companies in the property world that could really benefit from change and new thinking and new ways of looking at things. A lot of the tech we've seen, you know, so far has sort of been focused more at the resi end of the industry. And that's not surprising because what do most people know about property? It's their own personal experience of renting or buying or dealing with an agent or whatever it might be. So it's not surprising that people who don't know much about the property industry start there when they think about how can I make this better? But actually the opportunities right through the commercial sector are are huge as you've just been talking about in industrial, but also in other places. So I think there's still a huge job of bringing people together and creating a platform where people can talk together and get to know each other better. And then, as I say, just make sure that there aren't barriers and stuff that gets in the way that doesn't need to. Absolutely. And how do we start that conversation? I know we're kind of trying to do it right now with this (laughs) podcast. How would you begin to do that? How would you all begin to start those conversations? Because you guys have obviously the techies, you've got into people like Blackstone and everyone else. So, (laughs) So how do you start that conversation? I think it is happening. As We should remember that there's a lot going on and these conversations are happening. I think one of the challenges for the tech sector is because a lot of the representatives and a lot of the smartest people and the people you'd want to be working with don't look like traditional property industry people, there's actually a real challenge of getting in the door, I think. So you have to find a way of either creating scale or creating a reputation that gets you through the door. Once you do that, I think it becomes really easy because the the message is so compelling. But it's a real kind of Mars and Venus thing at the starting point. So that's the bit that we're trying to work on and figure out how you break down. I think the industry also has a bit of a challenge, which is everybody wants to talk about the big things that are going to massively transform the industry, AI, blockchain, etc. And I'm three years into sort of my VTS journey and it doesn't matter what panel or podcast or anything I'm sat on, someone will bring that up. The challenge we have as an industry is actually getting the people who are doing things right now, of which there are lots of them out there, to be open about what they're doing, to collaborate and communicate with others. Because if you are doing something that is innovative and is forward thinking and should differentiate you from the market, you're not going to be sat here on this podcast shouting about it. So that's one of the biggest challenges is actually getting people to own up to what they're doing because we are incredibly fortunate that we get to look under the hood of a huge number of organizations and that is absolutely happening. And I'll use an analogy from the US. I think the way that Brookfield and Blackstone have started to collaborate in New York and be more open about what is actually affecting the industry and impacting the industry and saying, look, if we if we get together and have these open conversations, it will be for the better of our industry, which will be for the better of our two companies. You know, if you get two big powerhouses like that willing to sit down and have an open conversation, I think we should learn a little bit from that in Europe and really try and, and collaborate a lot more because I know companies and I know people are doing a huge amount, but you won't hear about it because people don't really want to share. 
And why do you think that is? Is it because of the, all these big private companies, they don't want to share what they've got and they don't want to share the data? How do you speak that? Maybe there's a change going on now. Like Traditionally, the people who held the data were the advisory businesses because they did the management, they did the leasing, whatever it might be, and they collected that data. And they were quite effective at collecting that data. And then they sold it back to their clients, right? So it's a great business model, collect your clients' data and sell it back to them. And I think you know, maybe the change occurring now is that the clients, the landlords are going, well, wait a second, that's actually our data and, and we want to use that data and we can monetize that in other ways. And maybe, you know, we realize that actually we shouldn't be having to pay for our own data. And maybe that leads to more collaboration because actually as a landlord, you can collaborate with other landlords quite easily and you can pool your data and maybe you can generate really interesting insight by doing that which wouldn't be the, in the interests of the traditional holders of the data. You know, a JLL doesn't really want to collaborate with CBRE because they're trying to sell to the same customers and, and show their USP. So, you know, that could be a big structural change going on, actually, which is, you know, maybe that's happening, maybe it's not. I don't know, Charlie, do you see that happening? He's not Charlie's in, by not the way. He's <laughs> not in. <laughs> it is happening. But again, I just want to be really careful. That doesn't do JLL and CBRE out of a job. Their sole purpose is not just to aggregate data and sell it back to clients. Let's just be really clear. They they add value. And again, we're seeing those companies do some really exciting things with their own information, their own data, and their own value prop right back. I mean, Julian, you still use agents, right? They are a critical part of your business. But you're absolutely right. This notion of the landlord's outsourcing everything, including data ownership and customer relationships, etc., is changing. And I think bringing that in-house will drive greater collaboration and we will start to see that. Okay, so unless anyone would like to add anything more on that, I think that's a perfect note to end it on. Thank you very much all for uh, taking part in this podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Place Tech Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. All of our future episodes will be on there. If you like this episode, give us a social shout out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you have any feedback or suggestions, email news at placetech.net.